when my kids were younger, on occasions they would hurt themselves, as is the case with every young child, whether it be stubbing a toe, skinning a knee, having an accident, riding a bicycle, or anything similar to that. And they would come and say, Daddy, it hurts when I do this. And being the compassionate, uh, ever-encouraging father that I was, I would simply say to them, then don't do that. <laughs> well, as we continue our study in First Peter, that is the counsel Peter has for these suffering saints. We pick up our study in First Peter chapter 4, verse 15. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. To sum up, don't do these things. <laughs> but let's look at the text a little deeper than that. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Murderer is pretty straightforward, isn't it? In fact, if you look at the first three prohibitions, that of murder or of theft or as an evildoer, you do not need me to go into the analytical intricacies of those Greek words and what they really say. They are pretty self-explanatory for most of us. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evil doer. However, the fourth prohibition, it's a whole lot closer to home for many of us. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evil doer or a troublesome meddler. The phrase troublesome meddler is actually a compound Greek word, and it literally says, don't be a prior into other men's affairs. <laughs> now, we may be looking at these four prohibitions and say this prohibition last is in no way as serious as the first three. Murder, theft, evildoer. And then we're going to throw in what sometimes seems to be insignificant, a troublesome meddler. But I would submit to you, far more damage has been done to the cause of Christ and the destroying of communities of faith as a troublesome meddler than any of than either of the other three. Do not be a prior into other men's affairs. When we are the office gossip or the resident spec inspector pointing out everyone else's flaws or, or sharing information that is not ours to share, we do incredible harm to the kingdom of God and we bring great embarrassment to the name of Christ. Instead of being a delightful fragrance that permeates our surroundings, we become a putrid stench that repels a lost world. 
If we were to take this verse, verse 15, and we were to put it into some paraphrase of our own, Peter is literally saying, don't stick your nose into other people's business. Now, sadly, in the church, we try to sterilize the stench under the guise of prayer request. We, we don't tell stories out of turn. We don't gossip. We share prayer request. <laughs> and I am confident, even as uh, you hear that comment, as you're watching this session, I, I can almost hear the chuckle in your voice and the amen coming through the camera, because you are certainly aware of what I am saying. If you've spent any time within the body of Christ or the local family of faith. Now, let's be honest. We are called to confront sin when confrontation is necessary. But we are to confront in compassion for the purpose of redemption. We are not to confront for the purpose of broadcasting everyone else's hidden secrets or indiscretion. Peter says right here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, don't do that. I love the Apostle Paul's gentle exhortation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, when he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. That is wise counsel for every single child of God. But I want to turn our attention to the interesting words that close this fourth chapter. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And what kind of judgment is Peter referring to? He has been seeking purposefully, passionately, to encourage these persecuted, precious believers. And now he is talking uh, to them about their being judged. Isn't that pouring salt on the wound? One commentator has said, quote, the effect of persecution is to show up in the church those who believe, end quote. In other words, nothing like suffering to separate the authentic from the imitation. Not everyone in the church is of the church. So judgment starts with us. And the judgment that we are to go through within the body of Christ has two purposes. First, there is a judgment of revelation in 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Many people are familiar with the 11th chapter, 1 Corinthians, because 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul discusses in great detail the Lord's Supper, communion, and the spirit, the attitude with which we should partake of that precious, precious uh, identification with Christ in the local church. The bread representing the broken body, the wine representing the blood that was shed, how important it is for us to take those things in reverence, humility, with confession. But he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18 and 19, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. Then verse 19, it's interesting. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. What is what is being said? Well, conflict reveals who we really are within the family of faith. The authentic from the imitation. In other words, who handles that conflict? Gently, graciously, lovingly, and redemptively. And who handles that conflict vindictively and viciously? It reveals who the real child of God is. And so there's a judgment of revelation. It separates the authentic from the imitation. But the second purpose of judgment within the body of Christ, the family of faith, there's a judgment of refinement. We can be saved, but we can watch everything that is important to us go up in smoke. We will stand before God, but there's a possibility that we will stand before God and have nothing to lay at his feet on that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul makes this incredibly clear. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Paul is telling us that there is a possibility that we can call ourselves Christian, we can receive forgiveness made available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and yet live our lives for things not connected to the cause of Christ, things that we think are so important to us. And on that day of judgment, those things are going to be burned up. And we will not have anything of value to present to the Lord. Isn't that what happened to Lot in the Old Testament? We're, we're not going to take the time to actually look at the passage. Many of you may be familiar with it. In the Old Testament, Lot, Abraham and 
Lot were together. Lot was the naughty nephew. There was division among the families. And Abram said to Lot, you choose the direction you want to go, and I'm, my family will go the other. There was a, an amicable parting of the ways. And Lot turned his attention to the bright lights of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They pitched their tent outside the city, looking toward the city. Eventually, they left the tent and they moved into the city. Not only was he a resident of that corrupt city, he became a leader, a councilman within that corrupt city. God, through an angel, said, you need to leave. I'm about to judge this city. I'm going to bring fire upon it. Lot and his family fled. Just as judgment fell in fire, Lot's wife, some of you will recall, turned wanting and longing for the things of the world. And she was turned to a pillar of salt. They were saved as through fire, but they were saved with nothing left. And there will be some people who will be just like that on that final day. So there's a judgment of revelation. There's a judgment of refinement. But the point Peter is making is this. If God will send his children through the fiery trials for their purification, imagine the fiery punishment awaiting those who are not his. So within the family of faith, there is a judgment of revelation. There is a judgment of refinement. But outside the family of faith, there will ultimately be a judgment of retribution. God's justice may be delayed, but it will not be denied. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes of this judgment to come, judgment in regard to the lost. In 2 Thessalonians, we've got the three T's. Big T, medium T, little T, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out, here it is, retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the climax of creation, Judgment comes in Revelation chapter 20, beginning with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, 
every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Ouch. A judgment of revelation, a judgment of refinement, a judgment of retribution. In other words, better to suffer the judgment of refinement here in order to build up glory for the hereafter than to inflict suffering on the saved here and thus incur greater, the greater wrath of God in the hereafter. As the old saying goes, what goes around ultimately comes around. God's justice may be delayed, but it will not be denied. In verse 19, therefore, as a result of everything that I've just said to you about this judgment, this coming judgment, the judgment that should begin in the household of God, that judgment of revelation, that judgment of refinement, that judgment that comes to those outside the household of faith, that judgment of retribution, based upon this judgment, as a result of everything I've just said in verse 19, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Entrust is actually a banking term. It's a bookkeeping term. It means we place our souls in the hands of God for safekeeping. But why does Peter refer to God as a faithful creator? How come he did not say a faithful judge, because we're talking about judgment, or even faithful savior? He refers to God as a faithful creator. Why? Because he's reminding us the one who created us is quite capable of caring for us. So in the midst of suffering, we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. See you next session. This study through God's word is a study for scuba divers. As I shared in our introduction, there are two approaches to God's word. You can approach God's word as a snorkeler or you can approach God's word as a scuba diver. Snorkelers stay on the surface. They get a panoramic view of what's in the Word. But the scuba diver goes deep. He immerses himself in the water and he finds the treasures buried among the reefs below. We want to help you find the treasures of God's Word by going deeper. And I hope that we have accomplished that. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Word power media ministry, our email address, wordpowermm at gmx.com. Also, if you have a prayer request, please feel free to reach out to us. Our team would love to lift that prayer uh, to the Lord on your behalf. We consider ourselves family. You may have never been in a room with us face to face, but if you've joined us in this journey through God's word, we consider you family, and we want to do everything we can to encourage you and to minister to you. Thank you.